Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World. Welcome to another truly interesting, exciting, and informative episode of FNO. FNO. Was it my turn? Did you forget the name of our podcast? FNO Insured Tech. You forgot the name of our podcast, didn't you? I always want to say FNOL Insured Tech because, you know, first notice of loss. That's where it came from. Yeah, right. I wonder how many of our listeners know that FNO stands for first notice of. Do you think do, do you think most of them know that? Let's do an online poll. Well, I just let's gave the on- answer. Well, yeah, but well, but maybe they'll be honest and the and we can here's the online poll question. How many of you know? How many of of our listeners well, know what FNO stands for? Well, we wouldn't the want F- to ask that. The then FNO they would give us the number. <laughs> the FNO. Why? We're not giving in away a prize. We're <laughs> we just want asking. to say what does the FNO stand for in FNO InsureTech? Okay, we could do it that way. Mm-hmm. First notice of. First notice of. I don't know if yeah. you know this, but I uh, I like things in a certain order, and I like them in a certain pattern, and, and I like them to be complete. And so whenever I say the word first notice of, it's very hard for me because mm-hmm. it needs to say first notice of loss. And mm-hmm. so not to say that last word is a, is a difficult thing for me, just a little bit of an insight in, in, into who I am. Okay. I think we're done here today, folks. Thanks for listening. <laughs> oh, that's that's my partner in crime, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. That's right. Lee but but yeah. you know what, Rob? We didn't sure. come on this thing today to talk about me and my, my quirks. No, we didn't. Um, what are we here today to talk about, Rob? We're here today to talk about our guest. Yes. Yes. We have a, we have a special guest. A wonderful guest. A friend of ours mm-hmm. who is um, one of the smartest, most creative, artistic claims people that we have ever met. Yeah. And because of her innovative, uh, clever, artistic approach to doing claims, transformational abilities in running claims we wanted to have her on the podcast and that is theresa young the property claim process manager which is an unusual title but she basically runs property claims at csaa insurance group which is the insurance arm of northern california AAA, an insurance company that works in 24 states in the US and she is an absolute delight. Not only is she an amazing business tactician and strategist, but also a very interesting, unique person with a bunch of different hobbies. Isn't that right? It helps if I come off (laughs) mute. (laughs) Am I on delay? Absolutely, Rob. I today we're going to get to talk about 
the way that she's really transforming claims and her leadership within her team uh, to, to think outside of the box and to be the best claims department that they can be. And, and she has some great stories. She has some, some, some great findings. They have actually implemented some really cool uh, transformative ideas into, the, into her claim space. And I'm excited to, to talk to her and get to learn all about that. Well, instead of playing Pokemon Go Ooh. or going to Comic-Con, we will instead go directly to our interview with Theresa Young, Property Claim Process Manager at CSAA Insurance Group. Hey, everybody. We are here with our guest today, our special guest, who's not only a guest, but a friend and a customer, Theresa Young, who's the Homeowners Claim Process Manager at CSAA Insurance, joining us today from where, Theresa? I'm in Colorado Springs today. Beautiful Colorado Springs. Is there snow on the ground? There is. Yeah. Yeah. My son lives in Denver and just got a whole bunch of snow. Were, were you included in, in on that storm? Yeah, we had we had quite the accumulation yesterday, but it's all blue skies and beautiful today. But I still have snow on the ground. Yes. So um, you are, I, I happen to know, because I've had a call with you recently, that you are um, working from home like most of us, right? Down kind of in, in, that is in the dungeon of your house. Is that correct? That is correct. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for being here today. You are um, a, another member of the CSAA group that we've had with us. We've had uh, one of your cohorts, Debbie Brackeen, on in the not-too-distant past. But we wanted to have somebody on from claims. So why don't you start by telling us what it is that you do and um, a little bit about CSAA as well. Well, CSAA, you know, historically was uh, the AAA of Northern California, Nevada, and Utah. And we've morphed a few times. That club, when we were part of the club, we ended up developing insurance company within the club. Eventually, that insurance part of the club broke off, and now is an independent company. And now we just sell through the AAA clubs um, across the country. We currently do business in 24 states and DC, um, and so we're. Uh, I would guess a super regional. So we are national, but we do not sell in all 50 states. We have other AAA insurance companies that you know do branding through there. But yeah, no, the company, you know, we've been around for quite a while. Uh, we sell auto and we sell home and we're now getting into the commercial space. So it's actually a really exciting time to be part of this organization. Uh, as far as what I do, um, I currently work on the uh, process uh, team that's specific to claims. We have an overarching process team that kind of oversees entire enterprise sort of IT or business solutions. My focus is specifically on the claims um, architecture, but I concentrate on vendor and business solutions, you know, IA relationships. Obviously, that's where, where our relationship is, um, as well as building progressive and clean and streamlined architecture to propel us to a more efficient work processes, as well as propelling us into the future state uh, or what we're anticipating that future state will look like. So it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the reason that we wanted very to have exciting. you on today. Very exciting. Yeah. It's really fun. Very exciting. You, um, 
as as I say about you, you're you might be the smartest person I know in claims. You're in, incredibly creative and thoughtful about what you're doing, and I thought that it would be great for our audience to hear about what you're up to as much as you can share. That is, and so let's talk about being progressive in a space that hasn't been progressive in a very long time. Tell us what it's like being progressive in homeowners claims and what you're up against. Well, it's both an accelerating and frustrating process because the things that make it accelerating are the things that we have to overcome. And a lot of the things that we overcome is the conventional wisdom and the conventional thinking of, of years gone by, right? So, um, you know, the company's been around a long time and because of that, it's got really good bones. Um, and it's been built on a history of certain assumptions and, and certain things, quite frankly, that have worked very well in the past. But some of these sacred cows are things that we need to look at again to see if we need to keep those particular bones with us as we move into the future. So what's really interesting and fun for me is I look at everything. I pick up every little rock. I look under it and I put it back down. And I, but I even look at the sacred ones. And when you're picking up the sacred ones, that causes a lot of concern and angst in the organization um, and fear. Yeah. You know, sometimes good fear and bad fear. Um, and I think the biggest challenge is, you know, when you're looking at all of these underbelly of the rocks, and you find some really fascinating things and things that maybe worked 30 years ago, but maybe we don't need today. Um, that's, again, the fun part, but that's also the challenging because there's people who are really, really in love with their little rocks. Right. So what is something you're on an adventure to, to change? Is it the customer experience? Is it the speed? You know, I, I guess, what are you wanting to change? So I think the challenge has been organizational, at least where I've, I've seen, is the organizations typically pick a thing and they drive everything towards that thing. And so it might be expense. You know, we're going to be expense conscious and everything we do is driving towards that expense. I'll tell you, before I came aboard, it was a quality piece. Everything was dictated to quality. Well, the approach that we're taking in this build is it's not one thing, it's three things. You know, we're looking at expense. You know, we're looking at quality and we're looking at service. And what we're trying to do is, you know, instead of going for one, let's balance the three. Let's find a place of equilibrium. Let's get them in sync equally. And then we're going to raise the whole setup. And so it has to be a move or a lever that we pull that brings the whole set of those three things up together. You can't get it out of balance. So the trick is getting them in balance finding out which levers you're going to have to pull so the whole set goes up together. And historically, what we found is we chase one lever and we don't chase the three. So that's a big change is finding that equilibrium. Because if you maximize quality, it's the old, the old business thing, right? Pick any three speed, time or quality, right? right? Or no speed, price or quality, Right. right? And what we're trying to do is to find a balanced model of all three of those. So this is this is some difficult stuff. This is some hard stuff to be doing in an organization that does have its roots. What got you down this path and was there any training involved or was it just picked up throughout the years of working? Well, I think the training for this sort of discipline is you've got to have, I think, a logical mind 
I think you have to understand how business works. And I think you can get that through academics or practitioner studies. But I think you have to have a very systems or a holistic approach to running a business or sort of an ecosystem approach. I have pretty broad industry training. I've been with this organization 20 years. I started as an entry-level adjuster and went through the ranks and then was an analyst. And then I actually went over to the product development team and actually built the Signature Series product, which is what we have in market today, which is an over a billion dollar in revenue product. And then after doing that, I I worked with the IT group for a while. And then I came back to do this role. So I've got a pretty strange background, but I've also done the academic work. You know, I've got the CPCU. I've got the uh, a bunch of insurance de- designations I won't bore you with, but I've got my MBA and I'm almost done with my doctorate. So I think it's a combination of understanding the business both broadly and deeply. And most people know it deeply in their little section. And that's actually what we need most people to do. But you do need a few people that can go broad and deep and look at the whole thing as an ecosystem or a system. And know that if I make this one change here, it might make this person's job easier or it might maximize this part of the product or the workflow, but it has downstream impacts that give us a net negative, right? So I think it's that. It's it's understanding where all the pieces pull. And then it's also listening to the data and not depending on your gut. So it's actually doing the math <laughs> to figure mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. what are the correct levers to pull. Mm-hmm. And A lot of times the math will tell you the truth instead of what you think the truth is. Right. I think that we're all guilty of that, that we have a gut instinct that it's this, even when the math says it's that. Right. And I'll give you an example. Great. I was just going to ask. When I took on, we had this, we, we took on, for example, when I came on and we assigned an IA out on a claim or even my own field staff, right, would go out on a claim. We had this metric that you have to be out there within 24 hours. Right. Well, when we looked at it, we actually found better service scores when they were out on day three, not day one. Okay. That's surprising. So why am I pushing everybody to go one? Let's change the goal. And a lot of that was because we had mitigation. You were out on day one. You didn't know what was dried, what was could be cleaned, what could be salvaged. You had to go back out on day four or five anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we need the mitigation out there on day one. But I don't necessarily need the IA or the field person out there until mitigation is most of the way through. Right. And so the data showed us we actually had better service um, and we actually had faster. We had less supplements. We had all that sort of stuff if we delayed the inspection for two days. One of the hallmarks of talking to you is, is that you're always involved in changing things, finding a new way of doing it. Can you share some stories about that? I, I mean, not unlike the one you just did about uh, going from one day to three days. Tell us, tell us some other things that you're involved in kind of, I don't want to say revolutionizing, but trying to implement change. When I came onto this role, one of the things I was tasked with was to take a look at our CAT program, how we respond to catastrophes. We had a small CAT, and but we were spending a lot of money on IAs in the CAT space. Um, I'll tell you one of the funniest stories for me and telling stories is when I went to go meet the CAT team who was housed in Oklahoma. Great people, by the way. All of them are phenomenal employees. And we had at that point 
right before I came on, they had hired 50 IAs to kind of sit in our Oklahoma office because we had such a surge in backlogs in our inventory, particularly after those, uh, it was the, I came on early 2019. So the, it was residual from the 2018 fires that happened late for us. And then some storms that happened in early 2019. So we brought in 50 IAs to help with those backlogs and kind of grind them down, right? So I came in to kind of meet because I was technically the cap manager for a hot minute. So I went in there and I met everybody. Well, I met this one lady who was lovely. She had a two-year plaque on her desk. And I just remember, how do I have a contingent worker sitting here with a two-year plaque on her desk? Um, (laughs) If I need a contingent worker for two years, that money should be converted into an FTE. Right. Right. So we immediately started on a staffing model to make sure that we were staffed properly. And we found that we weren't. So one of the things we did is say, hey, some of this money I'm spending on all these IAs, can I convert to FTEs and then I'll get it, get some of it back. Right. And so we did do that. And then the other thing we looked at was workflows. And the way we had always done it historically is we had separated cat work from non-cat work. And I honestly sat and tried to build a model where that would make sense. And I could never get the cat team big enough to handle enough of the work where it wouldn't splash back onto my regular staff. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, what happens if I don't have a cat team? What if I just treat it like a work surge? And instead of having 200 regular, I'm making numbers up, 200 regular adjusters and a team of 25 cat people, why don't I just have 225 cat adjusters? and treat all the work like a work surge. Mm-hmm. And then when we did the math, that made a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it got a lot of people thought we were a little crazy yeah. because mm-hmm. that's not what the industry does. But we built it and we've been using this model now uh, just over a year. It was about April, I think, of last year. We put it into play. We're still tweaking it. But I will tell you, we just had that event in California, uh, the first of this year which was the largest single event in the history of our company. My largest event was 3,900 claims in a week, and this one exceeded 7,000 in a week. That model was able to expand 800 times normal capacity, and I didn't have to bring one IA file owner in, and I had 75% of those cat claims closed in three weeks. Wow. That's almost miraculous. It has, and it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of nuts and bolts in that, and we did have a lot of guest yeah. adjusters that we used from auto and casualty that were phenomenal, but we'd set up the architecture to route simple claims to them, So, and then they would keep them, and it's just been lovely to watch this, and so not only am I saving, I mean, I'm still using IAs for inspections and stuff like that, but bringing the IAs as pod people or you know file owners, we didn't have to do that at all. Um, and we've been able to cross train across our disciplines, both in auto and casualty to come in and support us. And we did things that were not kind of done before is like, I have a large last staff and they're, you know, they're busy doing wildfire claims and stuff. But during this event, it was all small, smaller claims because it was a wind mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. So, Hey, jump on the phones and help us help us with these first notice of losses. And they're like, well, we don't do first notice of loss. I go, yeah, but you can help. You have the skill, right? And they're like, okay. And they jumped on and they helped. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that had never been done before, putting our more senior people who weren't getting work right at this time because of the type of the event. There's no reason you can't help us on the front end to get those claims open. And it worked out lovely. So we were able to self-contain all of this. Now, mind you, it was really busy and it was really painful for many days. It wasn't a pizza party, right? But the model held. 
And um, we did it very successfully. And we had to meet with Actuary because we were closing them so fast. They were like, we have to change the way we reserve. (laughs) Um, And I think that's really exciting, right? When you Uh, have a whole model where the company's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you're closing too fast, right? That's a lovely problem to have. Right. You're beating our standard metrics by too much. You never hear. That's something you never hear. You know, and that's one of the things that both Lee and I enjoy about you is that you're a doer. I mean, like one of the things we found in our own company, that the companies that we've worked in, is that there does tend to be this tendency between cat and non-cat, right? And But a claim is a claim. Mm-hmm. A claim is a claim. And, and so why are, why is it, so if you, if you look at it that way, which it sounds like is kind of one of the fundamental things that you've come to, then that can kind of push to redesign the the whole department. So instead of having all these silos inside of it, you said, well, you know what, you're not busy over here right now. So why don't you come over here and help where they are busy? Mm -hmm. And as a result, I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but as a result, you're, you're going too fast. Yeah, and we're just changing the work model now. So, for example, I think I had, and I may have the number incorrect, so if I'm off by a couple, please forgive me. But I think within my organization on the homeowner claims, we have, I think, 13 levels, different job titles, and we're really collapsing that down into about five primary. There's a couple ancillary ones. Um you know, they're like, well, what's the difference between, you know, this position and this position, you know, because there was this, this gradation and like, it's not work is work. We're releasing a new model, hopefully in May at this point, where we're restacking the team, we've upskilling the team, we're going to, uh, one of the problems we were looking to solve, which seems to be an unending problem, is this claim triage. You know, I meet with lots of vendors, and everybody's got these solutions for triage, and nobody's nailed it. And so, you know, my group, we sit around and go, well, why are we triaging? Let's just not triage. So what do you, what do you mean by that? So we, we've developed and we're introducing the first multidimensional pass, which we hope to figure out at FNOL, right, through an algorithm of attributes to match the skills needed for that claim to an appropriate person. Wow. And we're hoping to nail that 80% of the time. Now we're going to go live in May. We've already taken some little steps towards it. Um, but the goal is, and then when we, we're taking an artisan approach to our staff, where if you get the claim, you get all of that claim. Wow. You get everything. You get the inspection. You get the, you have to write the estimate or have it written for you in the case of an, you know, an IA or whatever. Nobody's helping you. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you're not dependent on anybody else to do this work. You are responsible for the A to Z of the work that needs to be on this claim, but we're going to train you to do A through Z. And we're only going to give you claims that you can do A through Z. It's a triage by person and skill set versus a bucket of claims. It seems like a very fascinating way to do it. Right. So I'd like to ask a question about technology partners. You were saying that you get a visit with vendors and there are all these solutions. In the world of IntroTech, we have all these cool gadgets and amazing technologies and neat companies. Are there any of them out there that really capture your eye and you say, that's a neat technology? Maybe it's not for you, but is there anything you're really interested in right now? 
Well, yeah, I'm working on building straight through processing. So I'm working to see if we can get to a scenario where we have adjuster lists or more of an audit function for the adjusters instead of mining things from beginning to end. Uh, we have a really robust auto straight through processing system. We're industry leading. I don't know where the industry is at straight through processing and auto. Maybe you gentlemen know, but my understanding is we're, we're looking at like 10 to 20 percent straight through processing, okay. I think, in the industry. And we're at 70. Wow, wow, 70. Right. Yeah, we're at 70% straight through processing and audit. So so what what is the definition of straight through processing? What do you what do you mean by that? One and done. One and done. Never touched again. Never touched again. Wow, that's fascinating. Including payments and everything. So we want to build something similar for home. Now home, I don't you'll never see 70%. I mean, I won't say never because maybe maybe at a hundred years, right? You know, on home, we're challenged more with, there's not a VIN number. We don't have shops that you can, you know, <laughs> drive your car into. You don't negotiate labor rates at that rate, right? Um, but I do think that there is opportunity in many of the areas in home insurance that we can do some automation. And it might not be pure straight through processing, but certainly there might be some self-service capabilities that we can help the insured do some of the stuff themselves. We do have to be careful with that because even if I move labor to the member or the insured, I still have to count that labor in my labor cost. Okay. Um, and so there's a lot of times people, we want to move labor. I get vendors that say, look, we'll have the insured do, fill out these 40 questions of FNOL. That's still labor. That still increases their effort. And that's not a good thing. So that's sort of one of the challenges that we have with the incoming companies that they want to move all the labor to the, the insurer. And we don't want to do that either. So right. it's finding that balance, right? It's letting the data and the insureds tell us how much effort they expect and are willing to take and still give us a good score, if that kind of makes sense, and propel us forward. Are you finding that the, your insureds are willing participants? in in the claim and using tech on a claim and have you looked at that we have and it's it's regional what i will say um with covid occurring um it has increased the appetite for people to use technology who might have been resistant to it before because they don't want people in their houses <laughs> you know or they want to know they want to limit the number of the pieces before so in some areas of the country we had insureds that, you know, I pay you my rates, I want you to come out to my home. And so that created probably a higher demand for field people, because they expected people. Now we're finding that people are much more willing to have either a medication company come out and just do the photos and everything that we need to do and, and visit with the adjuster, either through a, a phone mechanism or a video phone mechanism um, than they were prior to COVID. So I think one thing that COVID will do for our industry is push more people towards using tech and being more tolerant of technology solutions instead of the high touch person to person content. Do, do you think that COVID has changed any of the game for us beyond the circumstance of now? I mean, when you look forward and the influence that COVID has had on society, it's kind of a big way of looking at it, but do you see that though any of those, any of the things that we've learned to live with are sticky going forward vis-a-vis -vis your processes? 
Well, I think, you know, when I'm looking at it as a ecosystem or assistance, it's like the external culture changed, right? It was a sociological shift. And so I do think that that does open up more of the virtual stuff for us. It will be interesting when whatever the post-COVID world looks like, it will look more like the old world than the current world, but it won't look exactly like the old world. Where will that take us? We might see a reaction going the other way. So it's going to be interesting to watch that. But I do think the ability and understanding to live in a virtual space, even like we're communicating, I'm guessing in the past, we would have all flown together and been in a room and done this. And now we're having to do it virtually in the basement uh, in Colorado Springs and wherever you gentlemen are all throughout the country. There's much more tolerance for that and more, more um, it being okay. And I think we'll see that as well. Uh, there's also more kind of do-it-yourselfers now. Uh, a lot of people don't have money, so they're learning how to do some of their own repairs themselves and not file claims. And, uh, you know, that do-it-yourselfer being more self-sufficient, I don't know if that'll permeate post this event, but, you know, we are seeing a little more of that. So it's just going to be an interesting shift. It's going to be different no matter what, but we'll see how society goes. But I think the love of technology will persist. What do you think about straight through processing in property? I think it's more viable than what most people think it is. That said, I'm we're just really beginning to build and we're both really beginning to explore. So I don't know what number that will be. What I'm hoping for, my internal goal that's just on my own head is 10% by the end of next year. Now I get to define that because there's really no big players in this game right on the property right. side. So, right. you know, whether that's straight through processing of payments or whether that's building rules to scrub estimates from whichever vendor that we're doing business with on an estimating platform building or, or taking, you know, I'm not quite sure what that will look like. We're exploring everything from claim routing, which I said, like, we're doing that multi-dimensional pass, which I'm really excited about. Uh -huh. um, we're doing that skill matching set. So we're trying to eliminate all sorts of handoffs, which in a way is kind of straight through processing. We're looking at, you know, can we do assignments automatically based on FNOL? If there's criteria, do I have to have a person make a decision or can we system assign mitigation and services? Um, when those estimates or invoices come back, can they go through a scrubbing engine? And just be approved if they're compliant with the two or three hundred business rules that we set, you know, set aside. And then if it's automatically approved, can I go to an automated billing core and automatically make those payments and automatically note the file that the invoice came in? And then I can save my human capital to do those things that I really need critical thinking. I need empathy skills. Right. right. And I need storytelling and advisor skills for. Right. Right. And keep those mundane tasks uh, that are really housekeeping or things that could be done by a bot or things we could automate through some sort of IA mechanism out of the, the artist hand and let the artist do the art. Right. I want a bartender. I don't need a bar back. If I could automate the bar back, right. And just have the bartender serving drinks. That's what I want. <laughs> I love that. Sorry. Analogy. That's probably too no, much information about me, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> well, we weren't going to go there, Theresa, but I'm, I'm happy to. 
I'm happy but to. you know, you know what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. we're going to be looking at we're looking at the challenge I've got in InsureTech really is I'm ahead of most of them. They want to come in and they want to give me a, a a solve for triage, and I'm like, dude, I've solved it. I'm not do well, not solved it, but you know, I'm not doing it that way. We've come up with a different option that we're exploring, and and hopefully it will work. We have confidence it will work. We'll know when we we kick off if it will work, and if it doesn't work, we'll tweak it a little bit. Right, nothing's perfect out of the gate, but they're trying to sell me products for solutions I I don't have. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like. I, if I've really only found one company, I'm not going to tell you who they are right now, that's ahead of me. And we're meeting with them to see what they can do for us. But that's what's, that's been fascinating, talking to all these tech firms and they're solving problems I've already solved, um, which encourages me to think, well, I must be ahead of everybody else, right? If they're, try- <laughs> if they're trying to sell me stuff I've already got pro- that I don't have problems for anymore. But I think they'll get there. I think as more and more companies progress and get to a future state in this, there'll be more players in the game. Well, part of it is, you know, like, and I'll speak from the claim side that, um, you, you, you know, the, the problems that a lot of claims departments have today are the problems that they had 20 years ago. And so, um, you know, the, uh, the problems that some insure techs are trying to solve for on the claim side um, are lingering problems that have been around for a long time. Um, and so that's why, you know, that's how they're making hay is, is by doing that. Not everybody has been able right. to do what you're doing without these new cool space age tools that are coming out today. But, but, it, but with that in mind, what, are there any tools that that you're using or that you can talk about or kinds of tools or categories of tools that you're particularly intrigued by or interested in? Really what I'm working on is just that straight through processing. I think the challenge I have in homeowners is how do I auto approve coverage, right? In auto, it's easier because if you've got collision and you were driving and it's your car, coverage is, you know, unless you were like, passengers for library, right? Or you're drag racing, you're going to be covered, right? There's just a few coverage issues when it comes to cars. In home, all of our coverage is conditional, right? The cause of loss is conditional and the consequential damages are conditional upon what is the cause of the loss, sometimes the series of the loss, how old the loss is. To me, that's the thing that I've got to figure out is, is there a profile of these claims that I can auto coverage approve? either through some algorithm that has like a fraud component into it. Can I look at claims history? Can I look at what data can I look at so that I can eliminate fraud? Can I tie in weather stuff to say, hey, yeah, this address happened on this date. There was a storm of this magnitude where it happens automatically behind the scenes. And the system goes, yeah, that's probably wind damage. There was a windstorm on that day. Yeah, and the damage being reported looks like what we would see. so to me, that's the struggle, not the, and this is what I'm getting is, we can let you know that it's been five days since the last note was in the file. Okay, that's good, but I, I'm more interested in this step over here, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm finding most people are concentrating on the latter, the letting me know when there, it's been five days since there was a note in the file. Um, letting me know that it's been three days since they inspected and they haven't uploaded an estimate yet. And it's this, it's this love and this attraction for data at the micro level, which isn't unimportant, but it doesn't substitute for the ecosystem and the goal, right? Those micro things support the larger goals of expense 
quality and service, but they aren't those goals. Mm-hmm. And so that's the challenge that I'm having when I'm dealing with the new vendors is they're trying to sell me the micro task. I got nobody selling me the vision yet. Mm-hmm. And that's odd because there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the insure tech space, but it's a lot of it's on the underwriting. It's on the new product. It's on the rating side. All of that stuff's like hyper cool. Mm-hmm. It's this, we're going to assign to the smaller home people to do these small repairs, which is still cool, but those are typically repairs we wouldn't have covered in homeowner claims anyway, mm-hmm. those maintenance sort of things. Mm-hmm. A lot of cool stuff about like coordinating when your field people are, you know, like an Uber app where, you know, they're available. Oh, this is the next assignment. Go over there. That stuff's all really nifty and cool. What I'm looking at is much more architecturally and more three to five years in the future of getting to me where I want to get. Um, And I just haven't seen too many of those insure tech companies yet. Well, that's one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on is, is that I don't think that many people have been able to put their arms around this at a high level at a vision level the way that you have and you don't you don't see it as as a bunch of different fragments and you go you go from fragment to fragment and and fixing it you you kind of take a big look at the whole thing like i'm one of the things that really interests me a term you use um is the term artisans and mm-hmm. I, I love that I, when I train people in my department, I, I I will frequently take them to a museum if I can and mm-hmm. and walk and spend an hour or two hours in a museum walking around talking about our business because I think that at least in my end of it, it should be approached as art, right? It's not it's not just data and not just you know it, not just information, but something that comes, you know, on an art level, what, why do you, why do you use that phrase and, and, and where did that come from? I like the phrase because if I'm going to give an adjuster a file or a claim, and my expectation is that we're going to handle it from A to Z. If this is something that I can't straight through process, that it's pure scientific sort of stuff, right? then I'm giving it to this person to use all of their skills and all of their background to come up with the best solution for that particular claim. And so if I ask an artist to make me a painting, you know, I'm not going to tell that artist which brush to use. I'm not going to tell them which paints to use. I'm going to trust this artist to make me the appropriate painting for what we need. And I think and I remember even talking to one of the vendors that were like, well, what's the percentage of virtual inspection do you want? It's like, I don't have a number. I want them to use virtual inspection when it's appropriate. As long as my expense, service, and quality are in line and moving up, I don't care what percentage they use which tool. And they had a really hard time wrapping their head around that because everybody wants these micrometrics. And I'm not saying they're not important. I don't think that way. Um, but I think when it comes to the human part, the human capital construction is an art, property is an art, it isn't a science. Um, We have to treat these professionals as the true artists that they are and not give them a little, you're not an assembly line worker. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't tailorism where you're on an assembly line because not every claim is a black Ford Model T, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, Now work is work, but I'm going to give the person who can make a Porsche a Porsche to work on. And I'm going to give the person who can want the Kia. And there's nothing wrong with either type of car, right? But I want the right artist to work on the right car or the right painting. 
um, it's just much more interesting work too. And, you know, a lot of management studies will show you that people are engaged when they have autonomy and they have authority, right? Yeah. And that's another yes. thing we're trying to do is to give that autonomy and that authority in claims, unlike many other areas in insurance, claims, you have people who do it for 30, 40, they make a whole career out of claims. Mm -hmm. This is their life. Mm -hmm. This is their livelihood. This is where they get to express themselves mm -hmm. as professionals mm -hmm. and giving them the autonomy to make those decisions and the authority to pick whichever brush in this toolkit that you have. Mm -hmm. And we trust you to do this. Mm -hmm. You just have to stay within the frame, right? You got to paint on the, the canvas and you've got to make it with expense, quality and service in mind. Otherwise, it's entirely your decision. Um, that's where we're hoping to get. And we've gone from an assembly line methodology. When I came on two years, we've invested over two years of training to get people up so that they can handle A through Z, right? Um, and we've started tiptoeing into that space. Um, and with mixed results, some people, you know, I only like to do A through K. I don't want to mm -hmm. do, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to do QP. You know, I don't want to do these three letters. No, you get the whole thing. So uh, it's it's a journey. I think it's painful right now as people are going through these adjustments. Uh, but I think when we get to the other side, the people who are true artists are going to love this. The ones that need the the containment of only having one simple task to do won't be happy um and then they'll have to make decisions we'll keep them as long as they're willing to do the artistry work right and do it well um but you know we're, we're trying to move to skilled professional artists and staff and we've got the best people in the in the country working for us so i think it's a high probability of a win well in your your results i mean the results that you mentioned earlier uh would would bear would bear that out right yeah, when I came on two years ago when we were doing the assembly line piece, and we also had the multiple pass, uh, we had like a desk review process. And now the desk review is really good. So if anybody of my former desk reviewers are listening, you guys did phenomenal. You did what we asked you to do. It was the process, right, that was broken, not the people working in it. But we would have multiple reviews of estimates. And I actually was suffering from an average of like a 62-day cycle time it was. And we've got that down mm -hmm. into the 30s, which is more in line with the industry. But we went from, I think it was a 38 NPS score. And I think historically, if you'd gone back the last three or four years, we were like, I think we tipped at 55, but we were in the 40s most of the time. We ended 2020 with, um, I think, um, I might be off by number, but I think we ended up with a year-to-date NPS of 75. We beat auto. Congratulations. Which is like that's, that's not supposed to happen. Number. That, that, yeah, and that, right now of we're industry leading on NPS. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've kept that seventy up during the wildfires in August, um, during the hurricanes, during the ice storms, the early stuff coming into January. Now we're actually hitting seventy nine. Now I will say the numbers are high early because the happy people respond faster, right? <laughs> so we do expect that to slide down. Mm -hmm. I think the lowest we got in the year was seventy one. Honestly. It's the people The we've always had the right people in the right places. What's changed is the work that we've given them to do mm -hmm. and the training we've provided them. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a people issue. We've got the best people working for us. They had broken toys and broken tools. And that's what we're trying to fix. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm in, I, I honestly, I'm inspired by you. 
that you, the approach that you take, you take an artisan approach to this, right? It starts with you. Yeah. You're the artisan who's, who's painting this whole canvas. And I felt it was really important. Both Lee and I felt it was really important for our audience to he- hear about you. Not just, I mean, we're an insure tech podcast and we talk a lot about technology and technology tools, but it's so much larger than that. And and people need to remember that this, these technologies are the, they're the paintbrushes that we use, sure. but people are still doing the painting. So we, we can't thank you enough for, for sharing your, your insights with us. And I hope that you will, you would do it again, that you would come back in a year or two and, and share what, <laughs> what new revolution you're, you're leading down the road. Thank you. I appreciate our relationship, Rob, as always. And this has been fun. So yeah, I I, I would always be happy to, I always get excited about this stuff. So anybody who's an insurance nerd like me who wants to talk shop, I'm always in. Well, you, you know, we'll take you up on that and look forward to seeing you sometime in the future, whenever that may be. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lee? Yes, Rob. I think back to when we had dinner that time with Theresa. Yeah, it was a delight. It was a delight. And you and I came away from that and and said, that is one of the most interesting, uh, unique people in the claims business that we've ever met. We absolutely did. She made an impact on me um, through just regular personal conversation about interest and things like that. And her knowledge and her view on claims and transformation it was just a wonderful conversation, and that was that was a year ago, if I if I recall, about yeah, a year a little, ago, a little more, just a little more than a year ago. Yeah, and I still think about it today. That was a wonderful conversation, and today we had that opportunity to be able to kind of dive into that and learn some more from her. I'll give a little spoiler here. Lee and Theresa spent a large part of the evening talking about Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go, which is a wonderful app, I assume most of our, our most of our <laughs> listeners have on their phone and play. No, now I no, am nowhere near. No. Yes, they do. <laughs> no. A lot of them are also on social media, Rob. I know you <laughs> might find that hard to believe, but that's a thing. Yeah, I social, don't know, but Rob what? doesn't do social media. Media? Not, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't huh? know what, anyway. But she is Last a big medium? time. What? She's a big time Pokemon Go person, and we bonded over that. Yeah, I'm not ashamed to say that. Well, it only took a year, but we had her on. And we big thanks to Theresa Young from CSAA and uh, also for being a great customer for all these years. And big thanks to you for being with us today. You're welcome, Another, an, I was talking to our audience, Lee, if you don't I, mind. I apologize. I thought, okay. I thought, thought you were You're a little needy, though. Apparently, you're a little needy today. For those of you who don't know, we're in the claims business, and we are in the middle of maybe one of the large, well, certainly one of the largest events we've ever worked which was the massive freeze that happened in mostly in Texas and other states too. And we're in the middle of working that on the claim side. And let me tell you something, it's hard, mm-hmm. but we're doing great and things are doing great. And we're out there taking care of our customers among them, CSAA. And so we thank Theresa for being with us and we thank you for being with us and please come back again and join us again. And until then we say, Bye, everybody.